Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today, we have the short story, The Infidel's Prayer. That'll be at the end of the episode. First, I need to talk about Universal Studios. Why? Because I had to go there on Wednesday. I had the op- I was given the opportunity to go there on Wednesday. It has it was actually really cool. Um not so much the park. I don't know. I guess it I guess it's awesome. It's not something I would want to do again for a while, but because we went and there were no lines, that part of it was awesome. And the rides we did go on were cool. Um yeah, I'm 50 years old. I'm not a huge fan of movies or how they're made like that not really exciting to me in TV, but it was really cool to see how much my kids enjoyed it. The rides were pretty good, but short, and uh, there just weren't a whole lot, but I'm not going to bitch about it. The Harry Potter thing was really cool. Uh, I only went on that once. Um, by the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I did enough. I walked enough. I'm done. So I got to practice some German and sent a couple emails, but it was really nice turning off work. Uh, my wife took off work. She's a lawyer. She shut down her office for the day. She still had to check in and everything else, but she did an amazing job of just having fun, enjoying the family. I did the same, you know, barely checking my phone. So it was really cool. Um, I might have been thinking about different ways people could die at the amusement park because I've been working on trying not to die at Ghostland. That may have been happening, but I wasn't saying that stuff out loud and they had, my family had no idea. So and I probably wouldn't do that because I was trying to be present and enjoying the moment. But what else has happened? Got a lot of stuff done this week. Lots of it was business related. Having to, now it's all boring stuff. I don't even want to bore you with it. But it was redoing all my links, making sure I had all the correct links uh, to audiobooks, print books, all that for promotions, all that sort of stuff. That way it's in one place for my assistant, for myself easy to deal with. Uh, having so many different books makes for a lot of different links. Uh, on top of that, oh, then it was scheduling all the next set of free books and discounted books that I'll be giving out for the next three months. So I think there are 14 or so books in each of them. I'm either discounting the audiobook or the ebook or some of them at the same time. I'll let you guys know what happens with that. Right now, What's really cool is I just put out 25 Perfect Days, my dystopian novel, mosaic novel. It's a collection of 30 interconnected short stories. A blend. Most of them were just written as pure horror stories that are set in the future. And I decided to put them all together because my wife is brilliant and told me I should do that. And I listened to her. So thank you, Jen. That is free on Kindle right now. If you've got the Kindle app, you can download that for free. That is free until the 12th. Today it has had over, I believe, 800 downloads, which is cool. And I put the new cover out. So it is, man, I'm such an idiot too. I messed up and I put the new cover, but it was the incorrect new cover. And I launched it free today. And then after a couple hours, I realized, I was like, oh, shit, that's not the right cover after all. So I put out the new, new cover, the blue one. And so that is now out, but it's doing really well. So excited to see how many people are downloading it. That one is a different, definitely a different type of book. Uh, but I think people enjoy it, especially if you like a little bit of a challenge. Um, I'd say one of the biggest complaints is 
There are just so many characters, and you can't care that much about them because they are going to probably die. Uh, not necessarily. Some people are good. Some are evil. Some pop back in and out. But if you like that sort of thing, check it out. It's free. If you don't like it, stop reading it. No biggie. And don't leave a fucking review. Please. Pretty please. Sorry for poor language. Uh, you probably can't see it behind me. I had it on there, but the screensaver's on, and I'm lazy and don't feel like turning around and showing it to you. But, oh, I'll just put up a digital image of the new cover. Bam. No, let's do it over here. Bam. There it is. So, it says dystopian, but that's about it. I'd much rather have this one, which is still for the hardcover and the audiobook right now. That's my buddy Carl's. I like that one. It just doesn't say it's a dystopian. So, that's why we're using this one. So, Hopefully it is working. It seems to be attracting people, letting people know what the story is. That's all I should care about as an author. I shouldn't really give a shit what the cover looks like, whether or not it's something that I would want. I had the instinct not to like it because it's too commercial, but it only makes sense. Like why I want people to read. I want people that like dystopians to read it. Let them know it's a dystopian. So hopefully now more people will check it out. Again, that is free until the 12th. Then right after that, starting on the 11th, through the rest of the month, Somber Stroll and Morsels of Mayhem. Both of those audio books are going to be 99 cents. And both of those ebooks you can get for free by going to my website, sign up for the newsletter. I think Somber Stroll is free everywhere. I'm not sure. Got to check it out. Or 99 cents. Anyhow, that's happening. And then Untold Mayhem, that audiobook, which is a pretty awesome audiobook, probably one of my favorites because it's a multicast. I think there are about nine different authors on that one or nine different narrators on that one. So that one's pretty cool. That one is $2.99 on Chirp, Barnes & Noble, Spotify, Apple. So, Or you could always pick it up on Audible. Yeah, do that. Make me more money. Then the Untold Mayhem Kindle copy will be free December 15th through the 19th. So that's coming up too. After that, it's going to be Ain't No Messiah free around Christmas time. I thought that was perfect timing. And the audiobook will be $2.99. But I'll let you guys know as that comes up. Anyhow... All that, scheduling all that, takes a long time, especially if you're like me. And then you're getting upset about it. You're like, fuck, why am I even doing this? But it's all good. Master plan. I want to be successful. So I have to take the steps. If that means I do some tedious ass shit like that instead of creating like I want to, then so be it. But it's all good. I still got a lot of shit done this week. I got a lot of reading done. I uh, got a new book. I have not checked this one out yet. Skin Flicks by Duncan Relson. Kind of afraid to check it out, but I know it's going to be awesome. A gruesome threesome of splatterpunk horror from the author of Womb. So yeah, if you guys have read Womb, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty cool. So that will be this weekend. That'll be my special treat after I get done with the current assignment. I do have to set my own assignments. I have to prioritize stuff. It is hard. If I don't do that, I get completely overwhelmed because right now there are so many projects and some of them I'm having to say, hey, send me whatever you have. I'm going to take a look at it as soon as I'm done with A, B, and C. Um, I try, and I'll try to get it in sooner, but it helps me a lot having something like that. So that part could be difficult. Um, I did just get notes back from Duncan on the death scenes, which is awesome. Uh, really liked how much he liked my favorite ones, uh, what he added to it all. And so now I get to go back in. I'm going to flesh it out some more, give it back to him, and then have him fix it all because I know I probably fucked it up. But 
at least. Uh, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think that one's going to be super cool. The book itself is awesome already. He did an amazing job with that. But having that kind of ability to kind of play, to kind of set some of these scenes, that's awesome. So I appreciate that. I think it's going to be a super cool book. Uh, that is going to be coming out next year. But my assignment I am prioritizing right now is finishing Try Not to Die back at Grandma's House, the main story, just so I could hurry up and get that out on Kindle Vella. I want to try that format. I was going to do a Wild West first, but we're taking a long time on the editing process, which is fine because I don't want to jump the gun on that one. I want to do a good job with that release. That's book number five. So that one's finished. We just have to finish editing it. Then I'll put that out on Vella, following up Try Not to Die back at Grandma's House. Uh, that one's only about 10,000 words. That's a much shorter one than usual. It's the first of the short stories. And that is what I'm hoping to base the board game off of. I still need to create that board game. But it's all right here. And in all my notes. And that's why I wrote the short story. So trying to dive back at Graham's house. Maybe I will have it out by the end of the year on Bella. I am not sure. We'll see. It's going to be cutting it close. I posted something the other day saying that I felt like such a failure because I have not published anything this year and I have to accept that. Um, not that I, I I really wanted to and I, and I was planning on it, but just didn't happen. Uh, every other year I published, I think, two or three books. Uh, not that many. I think it's, I have about 14 or so out right now, and that's over you know, 10 years. So 1.4 a year. This year, nothing. So bummer but i was like okay if i can sneak in trying to die back at graham's house by the end of the year then i won't be a failure but the whole failure thing is a joke because i know what's coming this next year and it's going to be awesome so being able to see yeah what's coming in the very near future i often underestimate things about when i will have something finished but it is nice to see like okay in this next year i could legitimately have five to six releases uh, with two of those being smaller pieces but i mean there's a lot so trying to die in the wild west we next year for sure trying to die in a hellhole which is a short story by john palsano will be out next year uh trying to die at ghostland will be out next year trying to die at death that's better Fucking be out by next year <laughs> that one is taking a while it's so close to uh, but it's all good because there's all these different ones to work on. So I can't trip. Uh, I just have to accept like, Hey, yeah, whatever, what, however they land, they're going to land. But all those should land in 2023. I think Caitlin, uh, hers should as well. Uh, trying to die at summer camp. I want to do more work on our fucked up little family, but I'm not going to promise that coming out next year. Cause it probably won't. I want to work on the bridge, which is the second book in the tells of blessed and broken series. That probably won't happen either. I'll probably work on it, but it won't be released for sure. Uh, but the possibility is in all these different try not to dies and try to die in a dark fairy tale. Like that will probably be that'll be done next year. It probably won't be maybe it won't be published till the following year. And I got to think about how many books, you know, how much money I could put into the releases and all that kind of stuff. But I would say probably five. Let, let's say let's underestimate, but let's say four to seven projects next year that I will release. So. That is pretty awesome, especially seeing the growth in the podcast, seeing the growth of my readership so and listenership. So that is super cool. Uh, by doing the book with Duncan, that's going to grow. You know, every book that I do with a new author just expands my reach, expands their reach. And so it's, it's such a cool thing. It's such a great collaboration. And I'm thrilled that these people have decided to spend that time doing it with me when they could just be creating their own stuff. So 
That is awesome. I appreciate it. And that is what is coming next year. Possibly at the end of this year. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But we'll see. You know, not to get your hopes up by now. I bet there's some other stuff I've meant to talk about. I just forgot. But that's all right because I'm excited about what's about to happen. I am about to do my yoga session because it's Thursday night. I usually put this out Friday morning, but I decided to film it tonight so I don't have to worry about it in the morning. I don't have to be stressed. All I have to do is write my newsletter really quick. So I was like, film it tonight after dinner. Just did that. And after this, I get to do a 30-minute yoga session with my son. Uh, I'm doing a new one on inner dimensions. It's called the Elements of Power Yoga for anyone who's interested. But it's super cool. I'm enjoying it. It's difficult. I'm on day four. I uh, haven't been able to do it. with. I did one day with George, and the next two days we did it on our own because we couldn't work out together. But tonight, I get to do it with my son. He swears that he's going to do the whole thing. That way he will earn a little dessert. So lucky him. But that's super cool for him to do the yoga. I think that's awesome. Just having that time, even if it was simply to relax and unwind and breathe and meditate a little bit, like that's amazing. And if you haven't already done so, please like, share, subscribe, all that wonderful stuff. Come on. I would do it for you. Probably. If I liked you and your stuff. I would like if your shit was garbage. I'd be like, dude, I'm not. I'm not liking that. I'm sorry. It's terrible. Um, but I'll just pretend I didn't see it. So just do that. You don't have to put a thumbs down. Either like, share, subscribe, or all the above. I'm gonna end this, and you guys can enjoy this short story. This is called the Infidel's Prayer. It is off of Twisted Reunion, narrated by T. Quillen. Hope you guys enjoy it. Have an amazing week, and I will talk to you later. The Infidel's Prayer Amir signed his name to his latest decree, folded it in thirds, dipped his seal in the calf's blood, and turned his wish into law. Pleased with himself, he sat the letter at the corner of his desk and turned his attention to the cheap television in the corner of his cramped, windowless room. For two months, he'd been trapped here behind the gates. The Americans had gotten too close. He could no longer be seen in public, no longer walk the town square to give coins to the children or to taste the Lady Cabrera's dates or cherries. A loud knock at the door sent Amir to his feet. It was only ten o'clock, and he had given orders not to be disturbed until lunch. He didn't hide his irritation when he asked, Who is it? It is I, Your Excellency, Rahim. What is it? I'm sorry to disturb you, but we have a problem. Americans? Rahim shook his head. It is the prisoners. Amir opened the door. Get in here and explain yourself. Rahim lowered his head and entered the room, his bloody hands working back and forth on a filthy handkerchief. He raised his eyes, looking more like a lamb than the bull of a man he was. They won't bow. What? I'm sorry, Your Excellency, but I cannot bend their will. This city will not be broken. You disappoint me, Rahim. They are but men, barely more than boys. They're not even military. They're infidel. Yes, I understand, but they will not budge, and the crowd grows by the minute. You can't handle it. Rahim straightened to attention, 
his massive forearms flexing as he clenched his scarred fists. I can handle it, but my approach may not be as your excellency wishes, especially with nearly the entire town bearing witness. Amir pointed to the door. Go and do as you must. I have your permission. You have my blessing. Once Rahim left the room, Amir moved to the three computer monitors lining the back wall. The crowd gathered around the eastern court was the largest he'd seen. They'd come to witness the young men who'd openly opposed Amir. Soon they would discover their fate. That was good. Even the most devoted follower needed a reminder. Amir admired himself in the full-length mirror. He was the image of excellence, from his perfectly creased beret to his shining black boots. To complete his outfit, Amir removed his sheathed sword from the gilded display case, attached it to his belt, and headed for the door. To hell with the Americans. These people, his people, needed to see his face. Just as he pulled open the door and stepped into the hallway, a loud cheer erupted. He glanced back at the monitors and could see nothing but the maniacal crowd jumping up and down. He hurried to his desk, took out his browning 9mm and placed it in its holster. Amir started down the hallway and saw red footprints marking the carpet. Not only had Rahim proved to be ineffectual, he'd been careless and disrespectful, bringing the blood of infidels into Amir's home. The crowd roared again as Amir approached the large wooden doors which led to the eastern court. Then, silence. Slowly, he opened the door. Rahim rushed to Amir's side, his open knuckles dripping blood on the sand. Still nothing. Rahim used the back of his sleeve to wipe the sweat off his creased forehead. I don't know what's wrong. Amir looked at the trail of blood Rahim had dragged in from the outer gates. He said, Take me there. Rahim nodded and led Amir down the path. As they crossed through the gates, the townspeople looked down on them from both sides. A chain-link fence kept them from getting too close to Amir's greatness. The short path opened onto the eastern court, a giant circle of sand surrounded by the quiet crowd. On the far side of a statue of Amir's father, the man the people had once adored, were three young men. Each was tied to a stake ten feet apart. When they'd been brought in the day before, their facial resemblance made it clear that they were brothers. Now they were unrecognizable. Any familial features obliterated under Rahim's heavy hands. These men won't bow because they aren't able to, Amir said. Untie them and surely they will recognize me. Rahim shook his head. They refuse, Your Excellency. Perhaps they will reconsider if you address them. Amir wondered who should replace Rahim. Move aside and watch how it is done. Amir strode forward, stopped a few feet in front of the man on the left, the eldest and hopefully the wisest of the brothers. Loud enough for the entire crowd to hear, Amir asked, What is your name, my son? I am my father's son the stick-thin man with the mangled face said. His smile revealed a mouthful of shattered teeth. I am Michael Marash. Amir slapped him across his cheek, the crack echoing across the court. Do you not know who I am? 
Michael acted as if he hadn't felt the blow. I know what you are. The same as me and my brothers. Mortal. Amir unsheathed the sword, placed its point to Michael's chin before the man could utter another sacrilegious word. You are as ignorant as you are brave, but neither will serve you in my court. Amir let the tip of the sword drag across Michael's chest, spilling new blood. Pray your brothers have more sense. The next brother, whose teeth and a bloodied piece of his ear glistened in the sand, looked Amir in the eyes, not once glancing at the sword in his hand. And what is your name? Amir asked. Zechariah. You look brighter than your brother, Amir said, even though he couldn't make out much with the purple swelling. Would you like for this to end? Very much. Good. Amir turned to the crowd. Did you hear that? This young man would like for this to end. He is a man of reason. He will bow down to me. The crowd cheered, but not nearly as loudly as they had when Rahim had been working with the brothers. You misunderstand, Zachariah said. I bow to no man. Amir whirled around and drove the sword through the insolent man's thigh. Zachariah's cry was drowned out by the crowd. Amir stuck his face an inch from Zachariah's. You want to rethink that? I have all day. Zachariah shook his head, grimaced when Amir pulled the sword out and shoved it through the other thigh. Another cry. Pathetic fools! Amir sheathed his sword. The first two brothers groaned and wailed as Amir walked to the third man. And you? he said to the big-bellied brother. What is your name? Hassan. Amir took the nine-millimeter from his holster and made sure Hassan saw it. I want you to listen closely. You can save your life and the lives of your brothers. Don't you want to? We already saved, sir. You can be too if... The blast of the gun cut the sentence short. He splintered Hassan's left kneecap. I can be saved? Amir fired around into the other knee, and then returned to Rahim, who looked as if he wanted to say something, but wisely remained quiet. Amir ordered him to ready the spears, and screamed at him to hurry when Rahim hesitated. The crowd went wild as the soldiers trudged out the six-foot-long spears and inserted them into metal holders beside each stake. When each of the glistening spears was in place, Amir raised his hand to signal for silence. Speaking to the crowd, Amir said, I do not ask much of my people, but I will not tolerate disrespect. Still, as a kind and just ruler, I will give them one last chance. Amir then asked the brothers, Will you bow? Michael said, You can hurt us now. Torture us every single second for the rest of our days, but it will end. And we will be welcomed into God's arms and an eternity of bliss. So no, so no, we will not bear false witness. Amir signaled his soldiers to proceed. He shouted to the crowd, I cannot help those who refuse my hand. The soldiers untied Michael and his brothers from the stakes, leaving their arms bound. Michael said, 
We are not trying to be disrespectful, but we cannot bow to a golden idol. Raise them, Amir shouted. Raise them high. Four soldiers surrounded each of the brothers and hefted the men onto their shoulders. Speaking over the cheering crowd, Michael said, We believe in one God. His voice was soon drowned in the cheers as the soldiers pressed them high into the air where they hovered over the spears. The brothers prayed as one. The Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, impaled them, Amir screamed. The soldiers dropped the young men, the schlop of spears tearing through fabric and flesh as the brothers cried to their heaven. The crowd crowed their approval as the young men slowly slid down the poles. Amir was used to men screaming, but not like this, as if they were in the chorus of the damned. All they had to do was bend to him. Michael was more than halfway down the pole, only a few feet of blood-slicked steel sticking out below him. Amir stepped to Michael's feet, dangling over the ground. The skin over Michael's upper chest stretched a few inches up the spear, pointing to the sky. All three of the screaming brothers reached the blood-soaked sand at nearly the same moment. Zachariah's spear had ripped through the side of his neck, a fountain of red flowing on both sides of the steel. Hassan, the shortest of the three, hadn't been so lucky, but even he continued to sing despite the spear exiting his right eye socket. The crowd stopped cheering, and the entire court went silent except for the brothers' everlasting, Ah! As if they had planned it, the three men finished their scream, Amen! Amir turned, found Rahim standing wide-eyed next to the statue of Amir's father. Lower the spears, Amir ordered. Rahim hurried to the switch. The gears grated beneath the ground and the spears tilted toward the statue. Each of the brothers was now positioned to show Amir's father's statue the respect it demanded. But the crowd did not cheer. As the blood pooled beneath him, Michael turned his head to the side and looked at Amir. We are not bending for you. We are not bending for you. Only God. Rahim ran to Amir's side and whispered, This shouldn't be, Your Excellency. These men are not natural. Amir's fury at his first in charge blazed in his eyes. The man was no better than a superstitious little girl. The spears are holding them together. They will bleed out like everyone else. None has lasted this long, Rahim said. They should be dead. Amir backhanded Rahim across the face, stunned the man into silence. And they will be, to the soldiers, he yelled. Remove the bodies and stack them here. The rest of you, bring in the wood. The crowd came alive and cheered the soldiers as they ripped each of the brothers off the spears and sat them back to back a few feet from Amir. Wheelbarrows full of wood dumped their contents in a massive circle around the men. The frenzied crowd continued by tossing branches, rags, and other items over the fence. This would be a fire like no other, an example of the fire that the irreverent infidels would spend eternity in. Michael took Amir's attention away from his people. God forgives you. 
Amir didn't acknowledge the blasphemous remark, simply strode to the edge of the court. He pulled Rahim to him and said, Douse them in gasoline. Rahim picked up the can by the entrance and walked to the brothers as branches continued to rain down. He said something to the men as he poured the liquid on them, but Amir could not hear the words over the chanting crowd. He didn't need to. Rahim had already proven what kind of man he was that day. But as long as the crowd couldn't hear it, his words didn't matter. Rahim emptied the can. Amir beckoned a soldier to bring him a lit torch. When no more liquid came out of the container, Amir tossed the torch, and the fire exploded, flames fifty feet high. The intense heat drove Amir and the crowd back from the pit. On the outskirts of the blaze, Rahim's body writhed until he was nothing but charred debris for the other soldiers to consider. A voice from above shouted, The statue! Amir hoped it was a mirage, a trick of the flames playing on his eyes. The face of his father's statue was melting. It looked like tears. It's titanium, he said, wondering if the sculpture had lied. It can't melt. But the tears continued to drip down his father's cheeks. Amir ordered his men to extinguish the fire. Buckets of water sizzled over the flames when the singing began. The song was an infidel's prayer. Stop that! Amir shouted at the crowd, disgusted that anyone would dare cross his decree. The flames continued to grow, and the singing grew louder. Amir turned to his nearest soldier and said, Take all the men you need and find those who are singing. Toss them into the pit. The soldier stood staring at the fire and pointed. From in there. There in there. Amir pushed the confused soldier away. He shielded his face from the bright white heat. The statue was gone, a silver puddle spreading across the sand. The song continued, growing louder as three shapes appeared. Amir yelled to his men, They're demons! Send them back to hell! Most of the soldiers ran. Those who stayed threw down their weapons. Amir fired around into the closest coward's head. Kill them! Amir yelled, aiming his pistol at the brothers in the flames. He fired. The round struck Michael's forehead. Amir fired again and again, emptying the gun into the flames. He threw the useless pistol at the figures and pulled his sword, waving it in front of him. Stay back! Stay back, devils! Go back to the depths of hell, please! Amir tripped and scooted backwards on the sand. I am sorry, he said to the fire. Forgive me, please! Please! He pulled himself forward and bowed his head. He recited the infidel's prayer. Each word he had banned from his city. He prayed with all his heart and begged the one God to have mercy on his soul. When he opened his eyes, he saw Rahim's charred body before him. He saw inside the flames. The brothers weren't alive. They weren't singing. They were dead. Amir looked at the ring of soldiers, realizing how crazy he probably seemed. He wiped the tears from his face and saw his men training their weapons upon his chest. 